from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. I'm Elaine Chong. When you hear the word vegan, what comes most immediately to mind? Is it an item or place? Maybe it's a person or some picture of who a vegan could be. Well, here to discuss that and speak to veganism from a personal and distinctly Black perspective is Artensis Smith, founder of Fabulously Vegan right here in St. Louis. Artensis, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So for some, vegan is a familiar term, and for others, it may be less so for any number of reasons. I'm thinking of my mom. Shout out to Marianne. Um, Just as an example, I mean, she'd get it just enough not to be totally confused, um, but appreciate a simple description. So Artensis, can you provide a basic explanation of what vegan means? Yeah. (laughs) Simply. uh, And this is just my own personal definition as well. Um, It's a lifestyle of compassion, empathy, and service. And by that, to unpack that and break it down, it's basically not exploiting another life because it's different than your own and to not place a higher or lesser value as well. Um, so you don't exploit and you don't abuse or uh, use as commodity. Um, and it's just based, again, in that empathy and compassionate regard to life. Mm-hmm. And that is something that you've come to mm-hmm. through a, a very long journey now, right? <laughs> and yes. you do do lifestyle coaching mm-hmm. around veganism, veganism mm-hmm. for others. Um, and that journey we were just talking about started very long ago. Mm-hmm. So what first inspired you to start along your path? Yeah, uh, good question. It's it's one of my favorite things to think about. I was a little girl. Uh, I was about 10, 11 years old, and I was in science class. And my science teacher was black. And my friends and I are just wondering, well, what is she eating for lunch? What's going on? And it had no meat in it. And, and she was vegetarian. And we were like, oh, what's that? And, you know, she's like, yeah, don't eat any, uh, any uh, chicken or any meat, so to speak. A lot of dairy, eggs. We're like, oh, okay, cool. And even some fish. Back then, people still ate fish. Pescatarian wasn't a known term then. Um, so we're like, all right, let's try it. You know, it, it, let, let's give it a go. Our science teacher is doing it, we're going to try it too. So it was a group of us that tried it. And I just loved the lifestyle. Went home and told my mom, no more chicken. And chicken was a food group. It's something we ate every day in every way. Um, so <laughs> I went and told my single mother that I will not be having that. I need something entirely different. And because of that kind of support and love, you know, um, and community, I was able to be a vegetarian at a young age. I get to college and I'm around some friends of mine. I'm like, yeah, I'm vegetarian. I don't eat this. And they're like, oh, no, you got to try, try being raw vegan. I'm like, raw vegan? Like, not even cooking the food? What's going on, you know? Um, and, you know, it's, it just stuck with me once they mentioned it. And they were black, you know? And that was my first time really hearing of raw veganism. I was 18, 19 years old. Right. So I didn't jump into the lifestyle right away. Okay. It, it happened um, a couple of years later, but I was trying different things leading up to that moment of right. saying, oh, okay, I'm, I'm vegan. But it was 
a moment. It was a journey. And I think what stands out there is that your models for that were black people. Black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whether they were older, older or, or my age, peers. yeah, right, mm-hmm. right. So you know, you had mentioned that you went home, said, "I'm going to be vegetarian." <laughs> yeah, chicken is a food group. Yes. You know, what was the re- was the reaction to, to that specifically, especially coming from a, a person who's so young? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good question, because you know. When you're young and you're making decisions, and these are decisions that affect not just you, but everyone else and their money and how they're going to feed you and take care of you. They don't know anything about this. I was so blessed and so, so blessed and fortunate, lucky, however you want to put it, to have this amazing support system of my family and my friends, too. So when I went home and I was like, yeah, not doing it anymore. You know, my mom was like, okay. I can figure that out. What's that like pasta, rice, and vegetables, and beans? She's like, okay, whatever. And she did. My brother ate one way. I ate one way. My mother was like, I'll eat whatever. Wow. Yeah. Um, shout out to mom who still is operating like a super mom <laughs> to her <laughs> children. Um, so that was really cool. My granny, super Southern, she was like, really confused. She didn't understand it at all, mm-hmm. but because of the love that she had for me, she said, I'll give it a go. For So my Thanksgiving meals were different. I had my own, like, meal, kind of, and my brother would, like, eat with me, but no one else is vegetarian in my immediate family. However, I remember my aunt, I spent the night, this is, like, early on in being vegetarian, and I was, she made dinner, and I was like, oh, just so you know, I no longer eat chicken so she took away my plate and said I wasn't eating dinner that night and I went without eating for that for for hours that's (laughs) commitment at a young age it was I was so committed I was like game on you're challenging me game on so I I had food the next day because she saw that I was serious about it okay so there was a little bit of resistance maybe Mm -hmm. and some uncertainty right so Mm -hmm. where do you think that came from that uncertainty mm-hmm. and and sort of the I mean it doesn't seem like it was too steep a learning curve no. for them to come on to it but no. what do you think is out there as far as you know narratives about who's vegan and who's not right yeah because vegetarian is totally different you're still consuming things from the animal which is to me very easy and you don't consider actually where whether you're wearing the animal or not Vegan, being vegan is you're not consuming the animal, anything from the animal in any regard. Your clothing, your makeup, you do the best you can with your furniture and your car, none of your food. So it's it's a different learning curve because it's your entire life. It is a lifestyle. It is not a trend or um, it is now. But, you know, it's not this fad thing. Um, it, it is something that you are inspired by. So like, oh, my actions make a difference. Mm -hmm. And that's just really what it is. So that learning curve, a lot of people start with the food because that's kind of the easiest thing to start with. And that's what I did, Mm -hmm. you know. But it was easy for me because I started being vegetarian 
I hadn't had meat. I didn't like meat anyway. It didn't matter, you know. So my food was even easier compared to most, right? Because I wasn't eating certain things. What I struggled with was fashion. Um, so that was my thing. Like, oh yeah, no more leather. So I had to start phasing those things out slowly, <laughs> right? Because right. you know what are you going to replace it with? You know. Um, so you have to think about things like that. There's a there's a huge learning curve, but it's more about being empathetic and compassionate. On, to yourself on the journey as well and not beating yourself up. So, and, and surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded and who are interested as well and who support your journey. And honestly, that's how I made it. That's how um, I continue to grow within this lifestyle. I'm always learning something new. We're speaking today with Artensa Smith, who is the founder of Fabulously Vegan. And we're talking today about black veganism. So you just mentioned that the diet is sort of the easiest entry point, mm-hmm. and then there are is um, there are other levels of of commitment to that. Right. And you know, you had talked about making the decision to become a vegetarian, and that's what started your journey to veganism. But what seems pretty clear to me, anyway, is that there is a level of individual decision that you're making, mm-hmm. but there also has to be community involvement. Your first mm-hmm. community was your family. Yes. Right? Yes. And then the, the people that you met along the way, mm-hmm. whether it was in college mm-hmm. or when you were living in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about you know the, the dovetailing of collective or community aspects of veganism and then what you do as an individual? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Some of the, you know, this is pretty large because I have bounced around a lot. Like you've mentioned, I went to college in Chicago and lived other places. And what I noticed is the community components are different because of what's available and what is already there. Like there's vegan communities in larger cities. It's the smaller ones where there's a bit of uh, the dialogue and education that's really needed. And that's where I really believe that's where the activism is. And so to speak with the uh, community is sharing what the lifestyle is. Where does it come from? Because of mainstream veganism, we're not really the face of it. Um, And actually, I got into an argument with someone from PETA about this because they really loved (laughs) to put a very thin white woman um, as their model for what a vegan looks like. So it's really, you know, dissecting that narrative and understanding that the veganism, before it was a term, was already a lifestyle being practiced about uh, the environment and having regard for life. And even if you're out hunting, you're going to say a prayer that you're taking this life. It wasn't just because you had to have it. You understood it was because you needed it to survive. And we kind of become disconnected. So when we're talking about the community and activism within that, it's that re-educational component that people just don't have and re- reconnecting them with the life around them and the people around them. Um, so that's 
that's something that's really big. And I found out, well, since I've been being back in St. Louis for almost seven years, that's a really big piece of it is that educational component okay. and, and diving into that why and how. And this is where we can go with it. Um, so when it comes to that education, mm-hmm. there's the education that sort of happens um, within mm-hmm. and then with those outside and the the example that you gave with PETA and mm-hmm. um, the the critique that you you had right. of what they were doing as far as uh, representation mm-hmm. how did PETA respond to that <laughs> the lady I, well it wasn't the entire organization I was venting to <laughs> uh, the woman uh, she's amazing she's over Main Street vegan uh, and I lived in, and worked in everything in New York for a while and she agreed. She was like, you're absolutely right. And I'm like, okay, so what's being done to challenge it, you know? But I have this thing of, as a person, everyone's different. I have this thing about if you don't see it, then you create it. What would you, this vegan world look like to you? You know, what would you want to see? Who do you want to connect with? What are the conversations that you want to have? So I just started doing it in a slow, steady place. You know, yeah. I started in Brooklyn and then I bounced around and now I'm back in St. Louis and I'm doing it. Um, but that was a big part of me of just having the dialogue and having those conversations and the educational component. But it's and it's not sometimes you do get into these arguments or, you know, things uh, like I did with um, the lady from PETA. But it doesn't always have to go that route. You right. know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of things that you find out that people just aren't aware of. Right, right. And they don't know sometimes until you open your mouth and say something. So that really seems to speak to uh, you know, why it would be important for someone mm-hmm. who is a, a black vegan mm-hmm. to be speaking up and sort of speaking out about what your experiences yeah. are and where you're not seeing um, We're not seeing it. You're not yeah. seeing it. Mm-hmm. Where, and it's not merely about representation, mm-hmm. but sort of um, imagining yeah. and, and yeah. activating what is better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, the experience of being a black vegan in St. Louis, mm-hmm. what has that been like? Um, and do you think that... Um, the way it is now is better than it might have been, say, 10 years ago? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Tell me more about that. Um, So, yeah, I would come here to visit, and there weren't any options available. There was Adina's Vegan Cuisine. Shout out to Adina's Vegan Cuisine, who's been around forever, forever, ever since I was in college, actually. That's when I discovered them. Um, And they're still here. They're still doing great things. But there was nothing else available, really, outside of them. Uh, As far as food, as far as even having the conversations, it... uh, it it was around for if you follow if you're a Rastafarian, uh, for example, Ital was around, right? So it was like it was in a subculture of communities, but it wasn't something like oh, let's just talk about it. Yeah, that's vegan options at this restaurant, and we can have this conversation about animal rights. You know, because a lot of people tend to forget that. <laughs> so it wasn't there. Now there are organizations here. There are animal rights organizations here. We have more than five places to eat. <laughs> You know, so it is growing. As far as being black and vegan, when I was visiting years ago, 
there, there really wasn't anything available other than Adina. There weren't any conversations around animal rights. And now there are so many caterers and food uh, and food nutritionists and dietitians and programs. So there's and now pop-ups. a range. Oh my God, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. and that's why I wanted to have my event. Think it happened, but uh, that's what really that's all about. It's bringing it together and seeing who's doing what. Where can we patronize our businesses so we can thrive and continue uh, to teach about the lifestyle and help those who either want to learn, want to get started, don't know where to start, and create the conversations and educational components as well. Okay. Do you think that perspectives like yours? are contributing to big conversations about the way we be or are mm. in the world today? Uh, of course. I I do. There are so many. Um, I actually left New York right as uh, the Black Vegan Festival was created. <laughs> and I was like, of course they do this as soon as I move out of New York. Uh, but it's organizations and people like that, even if you're not a huge organization, like I'm not a huge organization, I'm one person. But it, it, it's because of people who are just stepping out and saying what well, this needs to get done that you're able to attract a certain audience. And when these big companies and bigger organizations um, start to see that people like us, even if you're not black, you're a person of color and you're, you have a voice – and you're attracting people to what you're saying and what you're teaching. They pay attention as well. You know, like we, like there's Tabitha Brown. She's a big, um, she's a big black vegan woman, you know, um, who's seen a lot of traction. On television. Uh, she's on TV. She's, in, she's on TV, but she's also like a... She's a she's a content creator. She's an influencer, but she's also like this very spiritual, loving being as well, who's just all over it. And there's Tracy McQuinter um, as well. Um, By any greens necessary, she has a book. Like there, I can go on and on. <laughs> but John Badass Vegan, who was my speaker um, this year, like he. He's doing great work and is about to come out with a book. There yeah. are a lot of us. So it's great to hear that there, there's now sort of this there's kind this of traction. big traction. Yeah, yeah, that's picked up within, I want to say it's five, ten. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, I hope that we can continue conversation at, at, at some future point because yeah. there's clearly a lot to <laughs> so explore here. We just yeah. want to thank you so much, Artensis, for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Maya Norfleet. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. podcast proudly supports St. Louis artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations and leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you.
St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.